It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The security line's long. You might miss your flight. (laughs) Pretty stressed for sure. Now on the news hour, grounded and going nowhere fast at YVR as major staffing shortages snarl Sunday travel plans for tens of thousands. They plus. moved me to a hallway with six other patients. More failures with the province's healthcare system. This time, a cancer patient left waiting for adequate care for four days and counting. And I've been arrested twice now, and. Um, You know, it was very much a, um, do you want to do this? These are the implications. Condemnation and stern words from the courts in a scathing ruling, tearing down the tactics of old growth logging activists. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. If you have plans to catch a flight later this evening or Monday, buckle up for some major turbulence. This is still the scene at Vancouver International Airport tonight as thousands upon thousands of travelers wait for hours in lineups that are barely moving as sudden and severe staffing shortages as checkpoints are throwing a wrench in flight plans and having a ripple effect all over the world. Good evening and thank you for joining us. The travel headache that started for some 70,000 travelers this morning has turned into a full-blown migraine tonight. Vancouver International Airport is the epicenter of major frustration over missed flights, with thousands of would-be travelers left grounded in lines hundreds of meters long instead of going wheels up on time. Our Travis Prasad joins us live from YVR. Travis, all of this is because of a sudden and severe shortage of... Explain. Yeah, that's right, Sarah. Not enough screeners on shift today, causing massive delays for travelers at the security checkpoints here at YVR. It's something people we spoke with did not anticipate. And for some, showing up to the airport three hours early still didn't give them enough time to catch their flight. They're lined up near the check-in counter, but these travelers have already checked in. They're now waiting to clear security. Just, uh... Quite a delay. A delay the airport blames on a shortage of security officers. There weren't enough of them to staff all of the security checkpoints, leaving domestic and international travelers waiting in line for hours. Uh, yeah, long enough to miss my flight. <laughs> we're not even halfway. Yeah, we're only even halfway, and yeah, so we're so an hour and 20 minutes already. Just this one lineup measured a third of a kilometer long the bottleneck catching everyone off guard. We have obligations. We were supposed to be home tonight, so we have obligations tomorrow, uh, doctor's appointments and work, so that's all ha- have to be cancelled. The Canadian Air Transport Security Authority, or CATSA, says its contractor, Allied Universal, experienced higher-than-expected last-minute book-offs by screening officers on Sunday. Global News has learned that an attendance incentive program for officers ended on Saturday. 
Katza will not say if there's a connection or if they consider it job action. The Union for Security Screening Personnel has been calling for improved wages and working conditions, saying too many officers are leaving for better paying jobs, causing staff shortages and delays for travellers. We care about the safety of passengers. In May, security screening staff rallied at YVR, demanding a boost in pay, which ranges from $17 to $22 per hour. Well, I think this is going to become the norm, unless someone actually puts their uh, you know, uh, foot down and uh, start respecting the employees. They're the ones who are taking the blunt of it. It's not their fault, it's management. Hopefully management can figure this out. In a statement, the airport says this is not the experience we want people to have at YVR and we apologize. While YVR has not experienced the same level of congestion as other airports in the past weeks, days like today demonstrate the importance of finding a long-term solution. The Security Screeners Union did not immediately respond to our request for comment. A hectic day for thousands of people here at YVR today. At this point, we don't know... Delays will continue into tomorrow, so if you've got a flight planned for tomorrow, it's probably best to plan accordingly and leave yourself a lot of extra time to get through security. Sarah? Yeah, no kidding. Travis Passant at a very backlogged YVR tonight. Thanks so much, Travis. From one extreme delay to another now, this time impacting patients desperately trying to navigate a collapsing healthcare system. We've heard about hospital closures in towns and communities across the province. But here's a reminder, the staffing shortages are having a major impact in major cities, too. Grace Key has the story of a cancer patient in the Fraser Valley left waiting four days and counting in emergency, sometimes receiving treatment in a hallway. Carrie Senko has been waiting for a bed at Abbotsford Regional Hospital since Thursday. Since then, she's been moved five different times in the ER department. Friday morning, she was moved to an ambulance receiving hallway along with six other patients. At quarter to seven in the evening, when they realized that there was not a nurse to sit in the area where all of the patients were left, it was a mass panic to move us all into rooms. So they divided rooms in the emergency area with dividers and put two patients in each room. Some patients were given regular nurse call bells. Others were given manual bills. Saturday evening, Carrie was moved once again to a much smaller hallway. My bed was pushed up against the wall on one side and that's where the divider was placed on the opposite side of me. So I was literally had a uh, a divider touching one side of my bed and the wall touching the other. From that hallway, I remained there until 1.30 in the morning this morning, and I was then moved into an area that was closed so that I could get some sleep. And Carrie didn't always have a call bell for a nurse. Two of those spots would have had a call bell. Two of the five. I would just have to call out and scream, just yell out, excuse me, and I hope that somebody comes to answer. And I called once a minute, I called out, excuse me, for 11 minutes before somebody responded. Carrie has been diagnosed with colon cancer. In July, she had emergency surgery. On Thursday, she went to the ER after fainting twice and hitting her head. It, it's just extremely stressful. It's something that I need to be focusing on my recovery, not on where I'm going to be moved to next. To basically be shuffled around and people to ignore you, it just, you feel like you're irrelevant. A statement from Fraser Health reads in part, a patient is only placed in an overflow space when they are more mobile, independent, and medically stable. Patients needing a higher level of care are cared for in areas where we can support them and their families. Carrie says the situation isn't just taking a toll on her. She's sympathetic to nurses and staff. The staff is tired 
the staff is exhausted and the staff is very sad about the things that are happening. Grace Key, Global News. In South Surrey, homicide investigators are investigating a fatal shooting that happened late last night. Officers were called to a house for reports of shots fired in the 16600 block of 19th Avenue just before midnight. There, the badly injured 37-year-old victim was found. He later died of his injuries. RCMP say it's believed the shooting stemmed from some sort of altercation between people that were known to each other. Several people were detained at the scene as police worked to sort out exactly what happened and why if you have any information on this incident call police now to a scathing ruling from a provincial court judge who recently sentenced an activist for participating in some of those controversial save old growth demonstrations that blocked major traffic arteries during the height of rush hour as Kamal Kermali reports the judge did not mince words admonishing the environmental group for its recruiting and its protest tactics after a brief hiatus. Save old growth protesters are back. The group bent on stopping the logging of old growth forests in BC seen on the streets and now more recently in the courts, including the sentencing of one protester that has a BC judge slamming the group. Save Old Growth has run a series of events and now into the courts, which are kind of disastrous really for the communications for the public face of this nation. During a late June sentencing hearing, Provincial Court Judge Laura Bakken said of protester Ian Skirtinguis, he appears to be the type of person these groups entice and basically use as sacrificial lambs for their causes. Skirtinguis took part in at least three protests this year. Bakken adds Skirtinguis is a first offender who has mental health issues and ADHD, and he fits the profile of people who are used by organizations as foot soldiers, while those behind and organizing stay out, using people as cannon fodder. The judge added she found blocking traffic during rush hour, interfering with people's medical appointments and livelihood is, quote, aggravating, saying these are not people jetting off to the tropics. Comments like this by the courts are likely to be referred to by prosecutors in sentencing hearings going forward if people are convicted or plead guilty. In late August, another protester who pleaded guilty also gave scathing remarks in court about Save Old Growth. 19-year-old Olivia Mary Howe was emotionally manipulated into participating, said her lawyer. The UBC student who had moved from South Carolina said when she initially declined to take part in the demonstrations, she was ostracized. The court heard that Howe faced internal pressure from senior members that newer members earned their stripes by participating. Save Old Growth claims its volunteers know the risks going in. A defense lawyer is going to do what they have to do to get a, a good outcome for their client. And so if they're going to you know, throw the under the bus, that's what they're going to do. And the group doesn't plan on changing their tactics anytime soon. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Coquitlam RCMP are alerting the public about a 25-year-old convict who's breached his release order. Arjun Purawal was last seen in Port Coquitlam near Quebec Way and Coast Meridian Road last week. Corrections BC informed police on Friday he had breached his release conditions. Purawal is 5'9", 150 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. He is considered dangerous, so if you see him, do not approach him and instead call 911. 
to the Vancouver-Burnaby border now, where officers have been executing a search warrant at an apartment unit on Albert Street near Gilmore Avenue this weekend. Officers used tarps to cover up the suite's window, and the railings attached to its patio appear to have been forcibly removed somehow. Vancouver police say a suspect was arrested on an outstanding Canada-wide warrant related to a homicide investigation in Montreal. RCMP in northern BC are asking for your help in finding a missing Indigenous woman tonight. Crystal Ray Winifred Brown was last seen early Thursday morning in Kitimat. Police say the 45-year-old appeared to be in good health at the time, and it's extremely out of character for the mother of two to just disappear. Brown is about five foot five. If you see her, call Kitimat RCMP or Crime Stoppers. And New Westminster police are asking for your help in finding 20-year-old Aries Walter Hughes, who was last seen Thursday at the 22nd Street Skytrain station. Aries is 5'8", with a slim build, gray and blue hair, and black clothing. Police say they are known to take public transit and frequent Vancouver. If you see Aries, contact New Westminster police. They may be disoriented and confused, according to family. Coming up, lessons from one city's Chinatown to another. But it doesn't have that same sense of uh, fear and danger or criminality. And those are areas that we're hoping, things that we're hoping to bring back here to Vancouver. The deputy chief and other to jet to San Francisco in search of strategies to make Vancouver safer. Plus. It's been a little good fast, 22 years. Saying ciao to a legend, a beloved Port Moody staple gets set to close its doors for good. Stay with us. Throughout the pandemic, Vancouver's Chinatown has seen a rise in violence, hate crimes and graffiti, along with street disorder spilling over from the downtown east side. San Francisco's Chinatown has successfully battled those same issues. And now a delegation of Vancouver is headed south to examine what the northern California city has done right in reforming and revitalizing the oldest Chinatown in North America. Kristen Robinson will be traveling with that delegation on assignment and has tonight's story. From vandalism to anti-Asian hate crimes and stranger assaults. After witnesses say he assaulted... San Francisco's Chinatown has seen the same public safety threats and tourism hit Vancouver's has over the last two years. During the pandemic, the town was decimated. It was a ghost town. But there's new life within the 24 blocks of the oldest Chinatown in North America. Weekend street festivals, lion dances and lanterns, and murals replacing graffiti in alleyways. It doesn't have that same sense of uh, fear and danger or criminality. And those are areas that we're hoping, things that we're hoping to bring back here to Vancouver. Howard Chow is part of a delegation of a dozen Vancouver police officers and business leaders heading south Monday to learn from what San Francisco is doing to revitalize its Chinatown. San Francisco's Chinatown is a really special place. While it doesn't have street disorder and human suffering at its doorstep like does with the downtown east side, San Francisco's Chinatown is within walking distance of the Tenderloin, one of the city's poorest and most drug-infested neighborhoods. The difference is that they've learned to be able to coexist together. And I think that's what's needed here. The VPD's deputy chief constable believes San Francisco is faring better due to community investment in its Chinatown. Investment from different levels of government um, and from uh, business leaders that want to see it thrive and prosper. I started Delta Chinatown Initiative to ensure that the 
not just the residents could feel safe, but also the businesses were safe. Lily Ho launched her nonprofit in 2020, organizing rallies and town halls to bring awareness to the rise in anti-Asian hate. I wish we didn't have to, you know, stay in the fight. I wish there was nothing to fight. But while it's here and, you know, we, we don't want people to forget that this is still a problem. As things return to normal after COVID, volunteers won't stop defending their Chinatown. You know, our elders are still not safe walking down the street. While it's still a work in progress, Vancouver is hoping to borrow from San Francisco's model. The four-day trip is largely funded by the nonprofit Police Foundation, which supports programs that fall outside of the VPD's regular city operating budget. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Loyal patrons of a beloved Port Moody mainstay are saying ciao to a legendary Italian restaurant as it closes its doors for good this weekend. It's last call forever tonight at Rose's Cucina Italiana after 22 years in the business, serving up authentic Italian cuisine to everyone from locals to celebrities. Its owner has decided to close its doors for good. And no surprise, the typically long lines to get a seat at Rose's are even longer this weekend, stretching right around the block is celebrated for hours just to get one last taste of what owner Rosa Gabrielli was serving up. Her reason for closing? A combination of not being able to find enough wait staff and no clear successor to take over the family business. I think it was time after 22 years, I think most of all you can't find the people anymore. It's very tough restaurants. They don't want to work in restaurants. And I could see for six, seven months we opened the restaurants. It's been, I've been working extra because I can't find the people. And with COVID and all that, we're doing takeout. I want to thank you, everybody, supporting me. That was wonderful. But uh, I said it's time, you know. My daughter didn't want it, so shut it down and it's good memory and it's really sad about all the people. I'm going to miss it. Oh, and they'll be missed too. While Rosa and her husband Dennis are closing their restaurant, this may not be the end of their legacy as restaurateurs. They're calling this semi-retirement and telling their loyal customers to stay tuned. Coming up, the Prime Minister speaks out on the treatment of his second in command. As leaders, we need to call this out and take a united stance against it. Condemning the confrontation of Christia Freeland in Alberta in an increasingly polarized political climate. That's coming up. Stay with us. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Welcome back. An almost unthinkable tragedy in Barrie, Ontario this weekend, where six young people have been killed in a single vehicle crash. The vehicle found by police just hours after they'd all been missing reported missing, rather, by their family. Amar Khan has the sad details from suburban Ontario tonight. Devastation in Barrie as six people in their early 20s are dead. 
As traffic continues zipping on by, with street closures still in place as police continue to investigate the cause of the crash. According to officers, it happened in the area of McKay Road and County Road 7. At approximately 2 a.m. on the morning of Sunday, August 28th, uh, Barry Police Service located the scene of a single fatal motor vehicle collision. Uh, the occupants are believed to be the six missing persons that were reported missing Saturday. The car was towed away from the crash site on Sunday afternoon. Six of the victims were identified by police in missing persons posts on social media, but that has been since taken down. Police had put up missing persons information around 8 p.m. on Saturday. The six victims of the crash are believed to be Curtis King, River Wells, Jason O'Connor, Luke West, Haley Marin, and Jersey Mitchell. According to friends of the guys, they went missing on Saturday morning around 6 a.m. after going to the club and they were on their way to the casino. Friends who saw them that night said that they filed a police report after not being in touch with them for which they described as uncharacteristic. Two women described them as the four sweetest guys and people who deeply cared about their friends. At this time, it's unclear where the group was going or where they were coming from. Barry Mayor Jeff Lehman took to Twitter to call the incident a shocking and horrible tragedy that lives of six young people with their futures ahead of them, calling it a nightmare for the parents and that six families who are devastated this morning need all of our compassion and support. Ontario Premier Doug Ford offered his condolences to the victims' families. Police now trying to determine what may have led to the crash. The traffic unit is on scene and they'll be looking at all possible uh, explanations to determine what happened uh, in this collision, but at this point we don't have those details yet. As we await more information, those in the community continue to grieve as they search for answers on what exactly happened. Amar Khan, Global News. Today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau condemned the rising trend of harassment against politicians in Canada and against women and racialized communities following a tirade of verbal abuse leveled at Christia Freeland while the Deputy Prime Minister visited her home province of Alberta on Friday. As leaders, we need to call this out and take a united stance against it because no matter who you are, who you love, the color of your skin, how you pray, where you're from, your gender, you deserve respect and you deserve to live in peace without fear of threats or violence. Police have watched this widely circulated video of the verbal assault, which shows a man walking towards Christa Freeland while she was waiting in the lobby of the Grand Prairie City Hall before yelling profanities at her and calling Freeland a, quote, traitor. A woman also targets the deputy prime minister, saying, quote, you don't belong here. Christa Freeland is from Peace River in Alberta and said in a statement, quote, what happened was wrong. Nobody anywhere should have to put up with threats and intimidation. Coming up, we catch up with our Michael Newman at the return of Italian Days, plus the story behind the lightning strike that electrified an engagement. Hear from the homeowners who had it hit their house. That's coming up. Stay with us. Everything Italian was on display and celebrated in Vancouver's Little Italy today. Our Michael Newman was there. I'm here on the ground in my red, celebrating a, an annual tradition of Italian Day on the Drive. This is the first time it's been back for a couple years in person, and it's a more condensed version here at Grandview Park, but the same level of excitement and energy in the air as folks come to celebrate Italian culture and heritage. <laughs> 
This year, the event was set up in a very chill village vibe with all the things you would come to expect from the event, like the scrumptious Italian food, the live music and fun for kids, and a wide array of merchants selling Italian goods. In fact, they hosted El Giardino, where you could try different Italian food, wine, and beer. But more than that, it's been a time to bring together the diverse community and celebrate the long legacy of Italian Canadians that live in this neighborhood. And I got a chance to speak with some folks about what this event means to them. Take a look. Love is very important right now. Harmony, unity, togetherness, you know? And so this is a symbolic platform to kind of experience that. We want people leaving and saying, you know what, I, ha I ate well, mangia bene, ridi spesso, ama molto. Eat well, laugh often, love in abundance. It's bringing community together. The fact that we would have 300,000 people here throughout the day, the legacy means that people appreciate what the Italian community is about, what this community is about. My dad was part of this a uh, long, long, long time ago, and just to see where the Italian community has come and how it's integrated into the fabric of the city, I mean, I think that's what's special about Vancouver. Everybody has played a part in making this a wonderful city, and it's important to not only um, understand how it happened or, or why it happened, but like celebrate it. So an important event for the community and for folks on the ground that definitely there's a feeling of amore and passion that Italian culture is known for and the organizers are excited to bring this event back to Commercial Drive next year. But until then, Michael Newman reporting from Italian Day on the Drive. Okay, tough assignment for Michael today. There are few things better than Italian food and culture, and it was the perfect weather for it today yeah. as well, Yvonne. Yvonne Schell joins us now. I hope Michael brings us back some Me too. I doubt it lasted, though. <laughs> it's hard. It's very hard. Thanks, Aaron. Good evening, everyone. Yes, just day to day, especially down on the drive. We've got some sunshine in the mix right now. Temperatures are sitting in the low 20s and a southwesterly wind, wind at 17 kilometers per hour. Now here's what we're going to track overnight tonight. We may see more cloud cover, but it is going to remain dry. So for Monday morning, some cloud cover are clearing as we get in towards the afternoon and highs will be bumping up to 23 degrees as a daytime high. Weathermaker, however, is targeting the north coast. Now, we are going to see a significant amount of rain continue leading in towards Monday and then tapering off late day Tuesday. What we are going to see is that wave, and it'll intensify through the day. We'll have it inland as well with a few spots underneath the rainfall warning, and then late in the day and by Tuesday, we'll start to see a break. The special weather statement along coastal areas, putting that range between 70 and up to 100 millimeters, inland 30 and up to 50. The rainfall warning areas near Kitimat could see that range between 40 and up to 75 millimeters. So a significant amount of rain that in mind and that'll be along coastal areas as well. Now we are tracking a bit of a change on the way. Temperatures will bump up once again Tuesday, Wednesday. This is more of a heads up making plans for the week. We will see those temperatures into the low 30s in the interior. We'll see that heat surging once again. It'll likely be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Temperatures into the low 30s and then a bit of a reprieve and drop in temperature looking ahead by next weekend. So the rainfall heavy at times will be along the north coast, inland for the northeastern corners of the province as well as the central interior. Could track a bit of instability with the slight chance for an isolated shower. Prince George will bump up to 18 degrees. It's the southern half of the province that we will see a fair bit of sunshine, but even warmer for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Cloud cover in the morning hours for Whistler are clearing towards the afternoon. The northern and western edge of the island could also see a bit of uh, cloud cover with a slight chance for an isolated shower. Heat is on in the coming days with plenty of sunshine. So far, five-day forecast dry. The warmest days will be Tuesday, Wednesday, with that range between 25 away from the water up to 30 degrees. Sarah? All right.
right, Yvonne, thank you. Speaking of weather, on Friday we showed you photos of an electrified engagement. Well, it appears a house was also electrified and actually caught fire. Victoria Famia caught up with its owners. Denise and I come running out to hear what the screaming is all about, and we hear, fire, fire. And I say, what's on fire? And they said, your house is on fire. <laughs> It was a regular night for Kelowna couple Dennis and Denise Campbell the evening of August 22nd. They were just finishing up their dinner outside when they saw a storm begin to roll in and decided to go inside. That's when things took a turn. And we were just about to sit down and uh, play a game and we hear this huge crack. It was the loudest I've ever heard in my life and we actually jumped out of our skin. Shortly after, the couple heard screaming and ran outside to see what happened. That's when their neighbors yelled to them that their home is on fire. The couple quickly realized their chimney was struck by lightning, which sparked a fire at their gas meter, resulting in the side of their home being lit up with flames. And within minutes, their neighbors came to help save their home. Coincidentally, the same lightning strike that hit their home appeared to be the same bolts seen in the dramatic photos captured at Magic Estates during an Osoyoos couple's engagement. No way to prove if the exact lightning strike seen in the engagement photos is the same one that set fire to their home. It is likely, given how close their property is to Magic Estates. And during that time, hundreds of lightning strikes hit their neighborhood. Uh, it happened at about the same time. However, when the fire department got here, one of the first things one of the uh, uh, firemen said was that there had been approximately 500 lightning strikes yeah. here within the last hour. The couple says they worked to save their home and it paid off. The fire department told them if they weren't home tending to the fire when they did, the chance of them losing their home of 38 years was likely. You know, when everything's kind of done, you think, whoa, this could have been a lot worse. And then you're just, you're just so grateful for everybody. The couple is now working to repair the damage their home sustained in the fire. Victoria Famia, Global News, Kelowna. That's one uh, newsworthy lightning strike. Holy cow. Barry DeLay, welcome back. We missed you yesterday. Well, i got to take the odd Saturday night off to, to let it loose, you know? <laughs> but we won't talk about that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, well, I guess I was one of the lucky ones. I missed the white cap tonight, but uh, they didn't show up either. One of their worst matches of the season, and uh, Vanny is not happy. So we'll take a look back at their 3 nothing home loss against mm -hmm. uh, Nashville. And they uh, handed out a big check today at the... Uh, Tour Championship and Rory McIlroy is about $18 million richer today. So the uh, Holy golfers were cashing in. So I'll show you some of that as well. No kidding. That was a very unhappy Vanny last night as well. Yes, it was. <laughs> okay, thanks, Barry Yvonne. We'll see you soon. Coming up, the homegrown connection to a mission that is out of this world. Meet the UBC researchers sending a little piece of BC to space tomorrow. Details on the algae on board the Artemis. That's after the break. The Artemis rocket is set to blast off from Florida early Monday morning. There will not be any people on board, but there will be life in the rocket's space capsule. And it comes from a lab at UBC. As Paul Johnson explains, those tiny homegrown cells could help shape the future of human space exploration. With another historic countdown in Florida set to grip the world, a certain UBC professor finds himself bouncing between excitement and anxiety. I've been going back and forth like crazy the past 48 hours. Packed into the capsule atop the biggest rocket ever built 
is Corey Nislow's experiment that may help scientists figure out how to keep people alive on long space trips. So the issue is um, cosmic radiation. The first test flight of the system intended to return humans to the moon provides an ideal setting for Nislow's inquiry. The 42-day round-the-moon trip will expose a carefully packed cluster of yeast colonies to the kind of cosmic radiation that hits anything in deep space. After splashdown, Nislow's yeast will be brought back to his lab at UBC, where the DNA will be analyzed to find out who survived and who didn't. And so the hope is we can translate those findings from yeast to uh, human cells. While yeast colonies may not strike you as the kind of thing associated with spaceflight, without a solution to the problem of cosmic radiation, human flights to Mars and beyond are probably impossible. And people are getting ready to go now. Of Canada's current astronauts, one is expected to fly around the moon on the following Artemis mission, expected in a couple of years. It will be the first time a Canadian goes into deep space uh, and it's going to be pretty historic. It will be actually the farthest that any human being uh, has ever gone in the history of, of humans. But before that, all must go well with Monday's unmanned moonshot, where some of the only living things aboard will be the yeast cells cultivated at Nislow's lab. At UBC, Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, the master carver who's a master of his craft. Canoe racing returns to False Creek for the first time in more than a century. Meet the artist passing on his knowledge of boat building to future generations. That's coming up. Stay with us. Join Global BC, CKNW, and Rock 101 in supporting Recovery Day. Join thousands on September 10th to raise awareness, reduce stigma while connecting with healthcare service providers, enjoying family fun, and listening to great music, including Tom Cochran, Snotty Nose Rest Kids, and more. Place your inner paleontologist at Science World. At T-Rex, the ultimate predator, walk through the world millions of years ago and discover a new story about the T-Rex, how it lived, hunted, and thrived in its environment for millennia. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Welcome back. Barry's back with a very mm -hmm. unhappy Vanny. Yeah, I, mm. I feel as if I should make that uh, disturbing video warning for Whitecaps fans <laughs> before we show the story because what you're about to see uh, may make you cringe or do other things. All right, thanks so much, Sarah. The uh, Whitecaps road to the playoffs hit a big pothole last night at BC Place. The Caps were blasted 3-0 on their home turf by Nashville. We have seen this before from the Whitecaps this season, these blowout losses. But until now, they were exclusively on the road. Now they've brought their problems home with them and it's got Vanny Sartini fuming. Nashville's away. Zubak to the right, and there's the shot, and it's in! Right into the middle, and it's in! First of all, uh, before even talking about the playoff implication, and uh, it's, uh, it's unacceptable. It's, uh, it's a shame what we did today in a game that is... Uh, um, so important uh, for uh, for our season uh, in a game that we were playing home 
in a game that we were playing after a week of preparation. Uh, the approach was uh, was bad. Vanny Sartini and every single Whitecap supporter have a right to be up on arms because the Caps were bad and then for a team fighting for a playoff spot, the Caps put themselves on life support with an unacceptable effort against an opponent above them in the playoff standings, losing 3-0 to Nashville. At the first difficulty, so we lose a ball, they score a goal, we stop playing. We lost every 50% uh, paddle, we lost every, every ball in the air, we lost everything, and we conceded two goals that we normally never concede. Uh, defending set plays this season were very good, and uh, especially the second goal is, is is unacceptable because you know we were like four against zero, and we let the ball and we let the ball the, the ball go into goal. Again, I feel like I've said it quite a few times this year. Um, wasn't good enough, not aggressive enough, not intense enough. Um, and when we play against good teams like Nashville are, we're going to get punished, and that happened tonight. Down and popped up over Hassan and Ian. Can you believe it? You never like to lose, but it's how the Whitecaps went down without much of a fight and also the ridiculous selfish red card taken by Lucas Cavallini when he first shoulder checked and then stepped on the head of a Nashville player, which makes you wonder if this team is capable of getting its act together with half a dozen games to go in the regular season. We have six games to first restore our honour. I don't care. At the end, we make the playoff good. We don't make the playoff not good. We'll uh, we'll evaluate the season. But first of all, we need to have six games where we give everything on the pitch because that's the only way that we can be, uh, I would say, in peace with ourselves. And today, I'm not at peace with myself. All right, Women's World Hockey Championship from Denmark. Team Canada looking to stay undefeated, taking on Japan. Canadians get on the board first early. Victoria Bach, little pull and drag move. That's a good shot. Snap it to the short side. one nothing Canadians. And then on the power play, they will add another one. Captain Marie-Philippe Poulin. Of two for her. Many say she is the best female player in the world. She certainly scores a lot of clutch goals in gold medal games. And Sarah Potomac will also score. Breaks the net cam while she was at it. Canada wins 9-0. They're 3-0, just like the USA. They meet Tuesday with first place in the group on the line. Final round of the Tour Championship. Scotty Scheffler had a large six-shot lead entering the day. The FedEx Championship, his to lose, but Scheffler... Struggled on the front side, chunks one into the bunker on the par five, made bogey. All of a sudden, the six-shot lead down to one. Rory McIlroy playing in the final group with Scheffler will reel him in on the seventh hole. Rory for birdie from 17 feet. That goes down, now tied for the lead. Remember, Rory had the big lead at the Open Championship, and Cam Smith reeled him in in the final round. So Rory reversing the roles today in Atlanta. 15th hole, McElroy now down one, but from 31 feet, Rory with a perfect putt knocks in the birdie, and we are tied at the top again. 16th hole, both players in a bit of trouble. McElroy, a tough pitch from the rough, catches a break. That's got a lot of speed, but it hits the pin. So it's just eight feet away instead of maybe 20. And McElroy takes advantage, steps up, coolly converts the par putt. Scheffler bogeyed. So McElroy had the outright lead for the first time in the tournament. And Rory would take it to the finish line, taps in on 18 for the one-shot win. And $18 million first prize, Rory's third FedEx Cup title. 
Corey Connors, the only Canadian in the final 30, finished 26th, and he won 540,000. Final round of the CN Canadian Open from Ottawa. Not a great week for Brooke Henderson, playing just a half hour from her hometown, finished tied 49th at five under. South Africa's Paula Rito had a one-shot lead when the day began, and then here on the ninth, from long distance, will sink this birdie, gets it to 20 under, and she had a four-shot lead going to the back nine. But Nellie Corda made a run on the backside at the par four 12th from 135 out. Check this out, right at the two hops and in for the Eagle two. Corda would get to within one of the lead, but Paula Rito just needed a par at the 18th to get victory, and she taps in for her first career LPGA Tour win. One shot better than Nellie Corda. Top Canadian Elena Sharp finished tied 17th. Blue Jays trying to avoid the sweep against the Angels today. Not a good start. Ross Stripling giving up. A two-run home run here to Luis Ranjifo, and it's 2-0 Angels. Toronto finally scores a run in this series. Bottom of the fourth, Matt Chapman is going to go to deep center. Bo Bichette is going to score on that double. First run for the Jays in 21 innings in this series against the Angels. But L.A. played like contenders today, even though they're not. Shohei Hotani with a two-run homer to left. What a series he's had. L.A. wins 8-3. Jays get swept. Tampa and Seattle won. So Toronto drops to the third wild card spot. Just a game and a half lead over Baltimore. Not a good weekend for the Jays. Little League World Series finale. Curacao, who beat Vancouver's Little Mountain 4-2 earlier in the tournament, taking on Hawaii, who have pounded everyone. Hawaii can really hit. Bases loaded. Ruston Hioto clears them, rips one inside the bag at third, goes all the way all three runs score, and Hawaii has a 12-1 lead. And we're only in the third inning. Then in the fourth, Kama Angel with his fourth hit of the game. That scores another run, and that's the winning run. Game over because of the 10-run mercy rule, and Hawaii are 2022 Little League World Series champs. 13-3 the final over Curacao. Hawaii was 6-0, outscored their opponents 60-5 in the tournament. Formula One returning from its summer break, the Belgian Grand Prix. Grid for this race was a real mashup due to so many penalties handed down yesterday. Max Verstappen had the fastest car at the start way back at 14. Opening lap, not a good one for Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton trying to barge his way past Fernando Alonso. Alonso holds his ground, and Hamilton's Mercedes goes up and over. That aggression backfires. Hamilton done for the day. Alonso would finish fifth. Verstappen really had a great drive, though. Wasted no time getting back to the front of the pack. Overtakes Ferrari's Carlos Sainz on the 18th lap. Everyone else was in his rearview mirror after that. Red Bull drivers finishing 1-2 as Sergio Perez was second. Sainz was third. Lance Stroll of Canada was fellow Canadian Nicholas Latifi crashed early on and he did not finish. English Premiership Harry Kane and Tottenham at Nottingham Forest who were elevated to the Premier League this past season. Five minutes in, Spurs on the attack and who else but Harry with the finish. Calmly finds the corner to give Tottenham the lead. That's Kane's 200th Premiership goal, all for Spurs, 1-0 at the half. And Kane back for more in the second half, the recipient of a fantastic cross from Richarlison, the Brazilian using the outside of the foot to shape that brilliant cross. Kane's fourth of the young season, 
Tottenham win 2-0. They're tied second with Man City, two points behind front-running Arsenal through four games. And last night, the WLA Championship Series from Langley Event Center. Nanaimo Timberman in black, forcing a game five against Langley Thunder. And Nanaimo get the first goal from Cody Adamson, but it was all Langley after that. Curtis Dixon had four on the night. Great move to get the... Uh, Dip and dunk finish there. Dane Doby, first star of the game, had six points. The playoff MVP with 62 points had never won a WLA title until last night. And then Keegan Bell will squeeze past the defender along the boards and set up Chase Scanlon for the goal. And the Langley Thunder win their first WLA title in 10 years. They are off to the Man Cup in a few weeks to face the Ontario champions. So we'll keep an eye on the Thunder. There you go. Very cool. Congratulations yes, to them. for sure. Coming up, meet the master carver whose work is about to hit the water. Stay with us. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways BC. Story right now, you guys. Official Indigenous canoe races have not been held in False Creek for more than a century, but that's all going to change next month. And as Jay Durant explains, on This Is BC, the competition will also showcase the remarkable work of a master carver. Building canoes is a skill Mike Billy first started learning as a teenager, a skill that has been passed down from one family member to the next. My hereditary name is CCM, and it goes back seven generations, and it means canoe builder. So much knowledge and so much expertise, and he's truly a master at the craft. Now Billy is passing it on through the Canoe Culture's Nonprofit Society teaching young apprentices to ensure this gift is not lost. Oh, it's a big concern of mine. You know, it's the type of thing that keeps me up at nights designing canoes in my head. I just wanted to pass it on. One, two, three! Canoe Cultures is hosting the first annual Four Fires Festival next month, which will see the return of war canoe racing to Vancouver's False Creek. It'll be the first time there'll be canoe racing in False Creek in over 100 years. You get to see our old culture and our old ways of life right in the middle of downtown. And I think it's uh, pretty important to have that exposure. Clubs from more than 12 different First Nations will be competing at the festival. So there'll be canoe racing and dugout racing and singles and doubles and kids races and women's races. A chance to see who has the strongest crews and fastest canoes. It's an ongoing competition between canoe builders and like the best way possible. So seeing everybody grow and seeing everybody uh, collaborate in that sense, um, it's beautiful to see. It's the end of the season, so racers will be in peak shape. But for many, this event is about so much more than just the results. I like to say, if you're out there for the for the right reasons, and you're already winning. You don't need to you don't need to get first to be winning. You if you're out there bettering yourself, you're already, you're already there. You've done the same things that your forefathers have done for thousands of years. It's just so enjoyable. Jay Durant, Global News. If you have a great story about BC that people just need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. That looks amazing. I cannot wait to watch those races on September 10th, so the weekend after next weekend.
Quick look at weather, Yvonne, before we go. Uh, it is uh, going to be dry overnight tonight. A few clouds in the mix, something to keep in mind. And then hot Tuesday, Wednesday, those are the days to highlight. If you like the heat, we'll be into the low 30s and then a bit of a reprieve as we get in towards uh, the next long weekend. But we're looking ahead. Uh, so far, it's dry and sunny over the next few. Okay, good news for sun lovers. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. We'll be right back here at 11. Have a great evening.